Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 12. The Mirror of Erised. Christmas was coming. One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid, and the Weasley twins were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turf. I'm Casper Tokal. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I moved from England to America four years ago. And you know how different countries have kind of different national conversations that shape that country? In England, the dominant national conversation is often about class. You know, what kind of school you went to, what kind of postcode you live in. It's really the kind of national history that shapes our current reality. And of course, there are many other things at play. But that's really what I was 
conscious of as an English person. Moving to America, it very quickly became clear that in America, that seems really to be a history of race and racial segregation. And I had never really thought about being a white person or what it meant to be white until I moved to America. And particularly when I went to this incredible three-day sort of anti-racism training. And it just confronted me with all of these things that I'd never thought about. Like, who came up with the idea of different races and how they've changed over time? And like, how do we even define who fits in what race? We all have different versions of that. So the categories are so created. And I felt like such a fool. Like, I just hadn't thought about this i hadn't had to think about it and that's you know a classic sign of white privilege of of not even having to engage these questions for my everyday survival and thriving in the world and i wanted to bring that question to this chapter of harry potter the mirror of error said which really deals a lot with family and history and actually even uses the language of whiteness a couple of times in the chapter so what we'll use the lens of white privilege to explore is how does that show up for Harry and, and in this chapter of the book generally, and how does it show up in our own lives as two white people hosting this podcast? Casper, your story, I think, was just a great invitation to all of us to be honest about where we're coming from when we try to talk about race. And this is an amazing national dialogue that is happening right now. And it is an exciting time because I think a lot of change is coming and happening around us. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you this week. And I think it's going to be a difficult topic and that we will probably fall short, but I'm I'm really excited to learn through doing. So this week's 30-second recap challenge is part of round two of it, and it is when Casper was supposed to bring in a cake for me to celebrate the fact that I won round one. Casper, I am seeing um, a certain lack of cake. Yes, the House Elf Committee on Cake Decorating couldn't quite come to an agreement on the shade of green to use in the right. <laughs> I didn't bake a cake. I'm really sorry. I will bring it next time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a note right now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so 30-second recap. Madeer, it is your turn to go first. I'm very excited about yes. that. Yes, okay. So 30-second recap. On your marks. Get set. Go. It's the Christmas holidays, and so Harry gets presents the first time on Christmas. Very exciting. 50 pence coin from the Dursleys, and he gets an invisibility cloak from a mysterious person saying it belonged to his father. He goes to the restricted section of the library to try and find more about Nicholas Flamel, but knocks over a light. Filch comes. He runs off and ends up nearly being caught by Snape and um, walks into this room where he suddenly sees this mirror, and in the mirror he looks and he sees strange older people. Turns out his parents and his family, and then Ron comes and sees himself as house captain and everything else, and the end. That was pretty good. It's a long chapter. So there was a lot in there this there's week. There's a lot yeah. in there this week. I don't know how much better I'm going to be able to right. do. Yeah. Three, two, one, go. It's the Christmas holidays. Um, Harry and the Weasleys stay behind and they have an amazing feast. And uh, Christmas comes and Harry gets gifts for the first time and he gets an invisibility cloak. And there's a note in it that says, use it well. And so the first thing that he does when he uses it, he wants to use it alone the first time. He goes to the library and then he finds the mirror of Erised where he sees his whole family behind him. And then he realizes through a conversation with Ron and then a conversation with Dumbledore that what you see is your heart's deepest desire, but that you can get lost in the mirror. And that's it. Very good, Vanessa. Yeah? Heart's deepest desire. Use it well. Such phrases. Oh, well, thank you. I'm not sure heart's deepest desire is actually one of the quotes, but it's something like that. You get prizes. Thank you. I'll get a second cake in eight episodes. So 
Reading this chapter through the theme of white privilege, I think we all saw the invisibility cloak as a perfect metaphor for what white privilege is. And the line that really stuck out to me, one of a few lines, is when Dumbledore is watching Harry look at himself in the mirror of Erised, Harry says to Dumbledore, like, oh, I didn't see you. And Dumbledore says to Harry, strange how nearsighted being invisible can make you. And that just spoke so strongly to me of the real privilege of whiteness, of people don't make assumptions about you. People don't make comments about you when you're white. If you do something either well or badly, no one is making an assumption that you represent your whole race or, right, you you get to kind of flow by without anyone really commenting on your racial profile. I was walking down the streets of Milwaukee with one of my closest friends who's an African-American woman, and I was standing closer to this other white woman than my friend was. And the woman reached over me to tap her on the shoulder and tell her how nicely dressed she was. We were wearing almost identical outfits. And it was like there was this appreciation of an African-American woman looking put together. Like she was so conspicuous on the streets. And she and I had lived near each other for years and been friends for years. And somehow that was the first moment that it crystallized for me that I get to walk through the world completely invisible. I can look schlubby. I can look dressed up. And nobody – I mean they might be like that outfit is terrible. But nobody is – I'm not rep- like big conclusions about a whole group that you belong to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the invisibility cloak works in so many ways. I mean, even the fact that Harry gets access to the restricted section because he's using the invisibility cloak, you know, says so much about the things that we as white people have access to purely because of our whiteness, which is you know, something that we don't really notice until it's pointed out to us in some way. You know, we, we have to learn that we have this additional privilege, exactly like you were saying. And I just think that not being able to see those patterns, not being able to see that behavior until it's until it's pointed out to us is a really powerful metaphor in this chapter. Casper, can I ask your help? Because I feel like this other quote about the invisibility cloak speaks to white privilege, but I can't totally work it out. So I think Strange how nearsighted being invisible can make you is pretty clear. But there's also this line, the cloak didn't stop him from being solid. And I'm wondering, help me figure out why my gut is that that is also about the experience of being white. I love that. And I hadn't actually picked that up when I read it. But to me, it says... And this is reading the cloak differently. In fact, this means thinking about how people of color are made invisible in our society in terms of being forced to the margins, not being uh, covered by the news or not being celebrated at work or, you know, all the different ways in which racism shows up in our society. People of color are kind of pushed to the margins. Here, I think what that description of even though you're invisible, you're still solid means is like – Even if you're not being seen by society, it doesn't make you any less real in all your full humanity. And so, that's so great that the invisibility cloak exactly plays that double role of hiding white privilege, but also hiding the lives of people of color who who are so real and so there, you know, full flesh and blood. I'm just seeing invisibility as as a metaphor for so many things, right? And I wonder if this quote also speaks to 
to, you know, I just want to acknowledge, I mean, with all of white privilege, there's still pain. Um, the the cloak didn't stop him from being solid. So just like for black people, the fact that you are invisible in a negative way, the fact that you are invisible as a white person in sort of a privileged way doesn't stop you from being solid. So the fact that Harry can't get caught as easily by Snape doesn't mean that he can't get caught, doesn't mean that he's not still taking a risk. And I think that we are politically seeing white people express so much pain right now through things like Brexit and through the hashtag all lives matter instead of owning the fact that the reason that there's a hashtag black lives matter and a movement of black lives matter is because we do not treat black lives as if they matter. But what I hear in the white outrage and the white responses of all lives matter and in, you know, wanting to build a wall and in all of those things that I see is incredibly violent and oppressive is that potentially white people feel like in seeing my privilege, you're not also seeing my pain. My pain is invisible to you. So yes, I have white privilege, but still I'm poor. Still, my mom got cancer and healthcare didn't cover it and it bankrupted my family, right? And so there's this lashing out that's happening. Your point here is so powerful, Vanessa, because you know, everyone experienced a struggle in one way or another. And Harry in this chapter is so disconnected from his family, is so alone, actually. And, you know, he's so disconnected, he doesn't recognize the people in the mirror. He literally doesn't recognize his own ancestors, right? And when you think about rates of suicide, rates of addiction, rates of alcoholism, they are higher amongst white people. This is something that's so un- or misunderstood or mischaracterized. But when you look at the statistics, that's the case. And, you know, there's so much literature out there that these are all, in one way or another, responding to the deep isolation that people experience, particularly white people experience in today's society. And I think we see Harry in exactly that way. The story of being white is that you are an individual, that you're not connected to history, that you don't have really culture in the same way that people of color might do. And so racism is a system that is constructed, right? It was created. And absolutely, the first impact is on people of color in a a million ways, economic, social, uh, even spiritual, perhaps. But there is also pain and suffering because of that same racial system for white people. And I think one of my favorite things that I've been learning about in this kind of broader conversation is that if we as white people step into anti-racist work with a kind of I'm going to help free black people thing, that's very, very counterproductive. We need to see that our own liberation is wrapped up in this same work, that we will be freer to have deeper relationships, to have deeper meaning, and literally a better world is possible when we see our own freedom in it. And I just love that seeing in this chapter. You know, if we're all drinking from the same well, if it's poison for one of us, it's poison for all of us, right? And cleaning out that well is cleaning it out for all of us. Absolutely. So this week, we're going to start a new spiritual practice, which is called Chavruta, which is a Jewish practice, and it technically means fellowship. And it comes from a very traditional 
practice, which is that in yeshiva and Jewish learning circles, you are given a peer to study with and you are given a huge book, a Talmud, and you sit over the book together and you teach each other. And there's a teacher who circles the room and sort of helps. But really, the idea is that with a book and with a shared mind, you can learn just together, the two of you. And so what happens is that one person, based on the reading, puts forth both a question and a potential answer. And then the other person is invited to offer another possible answer. And so there are a lot of things I love about this practice. But what I love is that it really relies on the back and forth. And what it says at the end is that what is truest about the answer is all that we've said between the two of us, that the answer is in the aggregate, not in finding the one right thing. So what's your question? I'm so excited. Yes. So um, the question that I have for you is, what do we make of what Ron sees in the mirror of Erised? Ron sees himself as the victor sort of of Hogwarts, right? He's Quidditch captain and he's like head boy and and he has sort of risen above in his family. And I'm wondering what we make of that. And so the answer that I'm going to give is that he grew up in this big family and that he feels as though he has always been invisible in his own family and doesn't see the amazing gifts and blessings that have come with that with how loved he is. And so what he sees in this mirror is both himself as a victor, but what we're seeing of him in the mirror is that he feels sort of like a loser in his family. So I'm wondering what you think. I really like that. The thing that strikes me, and I'm still thinking about privilege because of the theme, is that Ron embodies a number of those intersectional identities that we talked about. Yes, he's a man. Yes, he's white. But he comes from, you know, a poor home, so less class privilege. But he is pure blood, so some pure blood privilege, as it were. Social privilege. Social privilege, exactly. So he's kind of embodying those things. But what he's seeing is in the mirror, exactly as you say, he's seeing really an individual portrait. And I was learning recently how you know, as a person of privilege, you think of yourself really as an individual and an individual success. And it's about my effort and the work I put in. And it's it's really on me. And you're also seen by society. Like, good for you. You pulled yourself up by your Ratio Alger. Exactly. Like that kind of story is so prevalent. But if you're a person of color, you're much more seen as immediately defined by the group that you belong to, for better and worse. And there's also much more of a sense of belonging to a wider group and standing on the shoulders of giants, as it were. Your success is possible because of the hard work of so many people. And even if Ron does win all of these things, you know, on the Quidditch team, hello, there's a team, right? In the House Cup, there's a whole house that he would be part of. But none of those people appear in that vision. And so there's something about him just seeing a solitary figure that that reveals some of that kind of privilege at play. Yeah, I feel that a lot, you know, just as a Jewish person, You know, whenever there's any sort of scandal in the Jewish community, my family's immediately like, ugh, why did he have to be Jewish, right? And there's just such shame and embarrassment around that. And we do it in a positive way too, right? It's like if a Jewish person wins the Nobel Prize, we're like, go Jews. Go Jews. (laughs) Right? But then it becomes complicated. It's, oh, we won another Nobel Prize. We're even more conspicuous, right? Like there's all these like mixed feelings about things. And then my father will always come in and say, when a Christian person does something bad, do like all Christians say, oh, damn it, he's a Christian. There Absolutely. isn't that same sense of feeling like you're entirely represented by people's actions who you don't know at all. Absolutely. 
One final question that I have for you, Casper, is is Ron's extra privilege that he comes from this incredibly loving family. And what role do you think that that extra privilege is playing out here? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you have to give me an answer, though, oh, that's before. Right. I mean, my theory is just that if you're experiencing something, you don't see something as a privilege. You see it as a burden. And that comes up with the maroon sweater that Ron is always given a maroon sweater. And Harry gets a sweater from Mrs. Weasley, which is such a generous, you know, token of familial affection that's extended to Harry by Molly Weasley. And Harry's thrilled. Like, he's like, I get a jumper. Awesome. And Ron's like, ugh, I got another one. Ugh, it's the worst. And I think there is a nice difference here between the Weasley twins and Ron, who are just a little older, who not only appreciate their blue jumpers with their letters of their first names on it, but they really make the rest of the Weasleys appreciate it, right? They force Percy to wear his, even though he doesn't want to. And they're kind of claiming, like, pay attention. We have this loving family. We have this bond of of great connection and trust and a sense of fun in our family. Like, let's appreciate it. And I think that Ron is perhaps just, you know, just hasn't quite realized how lucky he is on that account just yet. And he... I can also imagine him being jealous of the bond of the twins. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for going on this Havruta adventure with me. I'm sure we'll get better at it as we practice in the next few weeks. Thank you for introducing me to it. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to next time. Um, so it's time for this week's blessings. And I'm going to go first just because my blessing this week is for Mrs. Weasley for exactly what you were talking about. She's just met Harry. She's only met him briefly. I mean, I guess theoretically Ron's been writing home about him and she knows that they've become good friends. But, you know, she's met him for like 30 seconds. And the fact that she not only knit him a jumper, but that she made him the nicest jumper as like a way to show him how special he is to her. I just think is such a brilliant act of generosity and includes this homemade fudge for him and people who are so thoughtful and so generous and have such attention to detail. Really, it can make all the difference in the world. I remember I started, I moved to New York and had a new job and I was so scared and I showed up at my desk and my new boss had bought me flowers and there were flowers waiting for me on my desk. It meant Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Everything to me. I was like, oh, she's happy I'm here. And so I just think that those moments are amazing. So I want to bless Mrs. Weasley for that. My blessing is for Harry. No surprises there. But I think, you know, I recognize in him, I guess, where I'm at myself in this journey of learning to understand what white privilege means and what privilege in general means and how to how to be in the world accepting, you know, the reality, but also trying to challenge the injustice of that. And I think, you know, Harry, Harry will have a difficult journey <laughs> on this particular question, but I thought it might be helpful just to mention a couple of resources that I found really helpful. We'll put a bunch of them in the blog post on the website, harrypottersacredtext.com. But particularly, I thought that Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack is a really helpful list of just 50 ways in which white privilege shows up that Peggy McIntosh kind of noticed and just noted down over her years of work. And I'd highly recommend reading James Baldwin's The Fire next time. It's an incredible call to action. It's decades old, but so prescient and so beautifully written. And Baldwin is, is such a voice across the generations. So please do check out some of these resources and a blessing for anyone who's on this road of racial justice and healing. Um, so thank you for that. This week's voicemail is from a friend and former student who is quite beloved from Nick Barber, who I believe is calling in from New Orleans. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. So this voice memo might be uh, a departure from, from the past uh, few, few voicemails that you've had on the, on the podcast. Um, and it's, it's a question and sort of meta-commentary on the, on the project as a whole. But as I was reading Harry Potter this weekend and catching up with the podcast, chapter 7, 8, 9, I found myself finding the the emotional range of the book almost incommensurable with the 
emotional climate of, of the country and where we're at and where I'm at and how I'm feeling about these past two weeks. So instead of, of using the text as we've done in the past and I've been able to do in the past, instead of being able to use it to sort of try and reflect what I was feeling about the world around me, I ended up using the book and getting into it as, as a means of sort of escaping the current world because the shades of evil and good in, in the book seemed more manageable than the shades of evil that we seem to be encountering in our world today. And, you know, there are ways in which they relate, but there seems to be sort of a, a fundamental disconnect. Maybe not fundamental. Um, and I was wondering if, if both of you thought that using it as an escape rather than a means of, of reflecting the world around us sort of undermines the project of reading something as sacred, or if that just is one way of seeing a text as sacred, that it can be something that reflects the world around you, or, or it can be an escape. So I'd love your thoughts on this, or if you have thoughts on how you saw these chapters relating to sort of the evils that, were, that we seem to be encountering. Thanks. Nick, you asked two amazing questions, and I'm, I'm just going to try to answer one of them. But I think you answered your own question. I do think part of what makes a text sacred or one of the things that can make a text sacred is the escapist quality of it. Something that escapism relies on is imagination. And based on these last several weeks and the tragedies that are going on around us, I think that a call for imagination, a call for escaping to somewhere in our minds that is better than the world that we live in is more necessary than ever. And so, you know, sometimes we can read the text practicing the skill of close reading, and sometimes we can see how practicing the text is sacred can show us how our own lenses impact things. But I think that when you are called to read this book as a way to practice your imagination, I think that that is an incredible skill to also build. So those are my thoughts, but I think that you answered your own questions beautifully. So thank you for that message. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we'll read Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel, through the theme of hope. This podcast is produced by Ariana Nedelman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Kasper Takail. Please subscribe and review us wherever you find your podcast, especially on iTunes, where most people will find us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, where we can continue the conversation, share bonus content, and send updates and announcements. A big thanks to Jen Stark and Emily Colgan, our social media coordinators, our iTunes reviewers, Matt PC, Izzy0934, Beagle Stew, and Sarah Diane. Our Kickstarter supporter of the week is Tom Norris. Music by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Boll. Thanks to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon and Rufus. Thanks also to the Harvard Communications Office, the Harvard Humanist Hub, and our wonderful Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group. We'll see you next week. Thank you to Ariana Nedelman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, our producers this week. (laughs) It does not work. It does not work. (laughs) And me. All right. Let's do that again. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. 
so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.